thank you for just lifting high the name of Jesus and thank you for lifting your voices in praise to him. He loves your praise. He inhabits the praises of his people. Amen. Yes. This is what it's all about right here, you know. This world wants to silence us. You know that first song we sang? Now, they, they, they want us to be quiet. No way. No way. And there's coming a day, you guys, when we're going to stand before the throne. Uh, John saw it in a vision, and he wrote it down. But I got to tell you, there's something that's going to happen before that time. There is coming a day when there's going to be a trumpet sound and a loud shout, and we're going to see the Lord Jesus in the air because we're going to be taken together with him, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. But until then, we've got a lot of work to do. And that's no secret to you and to me that I got a lot of work to do on me. And you've got a lot of work to do on you. So are you ready to open your heart to the word right now and open your heart to what the Holy Spirit wants to say to you? Very good. Okay, if so, go ahead and have a seat and grab your Bibles. And um, it's a pleasure of mine to be able to introduce to you um, a beloved preacher that we love to have here, and we get him about once a year, and his name is Davey Blackburn. And um, some of you are, you know him, and you're excited now that you know that I'm not gonna be here preaching and that he's going to be preaching. But you might be new to us since he's been here last, and if so, then um, the way I would describe him is he's a young, um, godly man that God has wounded deeply in order to give him a platform to be used greatly. And because of this deep wound that God has inflicted into his life and into his family, um, God has blessed him with a wife, blessed him with a life, blessed him with a ministry because he is now, um, he and Christy oversee the Nothing Is Wasted podcast and God is using him around the world through that and given them and inspired them to be the founders of a pain to purpose ministry. It's a discipleship ministry that they have helping people all over the, literally you guys all over the world. In fact, um, because of their ministry, um, I received a phone call several weeks ago from a, a man my age who his daughter was murdered in Ohio and his granddaughter, his 15 year old granddaughter, they were both senselessly um, murdered, and he reached out to me and Robin, and he and his wife want to meet with us in order to help them lead their family through this tragedy, and they connected. We connected through the Pain to Purpose program that they're going through as a family, and so um, we love you, Davey, and Christy, I don't know where you are. You're in here somewhere. Christy's back there, all right? Um, we love you, and so would you help me welcome Davey Blackburn, Blackburn back to our platform today? <laughs> better than DJ. Right. <laughs> oh man, I love you guys. Um, just, just in case uh, anybody gets a little bit tired or sleepy or this gets a little bit boring, we've got this. So just, you know, wave your hand if you're like, hey, pastor, I'm <laughs> kind of nodding off right here. When, uh, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna use that in just a little bit. Man, it's just so great to be with you guys. I always get so emotional being here. Um, so, much, so much meaning in history being here with you guys. And um, so I'm grateful that you invite me back. Um, 
It seems, you know, that sometimes, there, you know, I can, uh, dad or Phil usually sits on bated breath wondering what I'm going to say <laughs> when he hands me the microphone. And, um, but I'm just so honored to be here with you guys. I really am. Uh, this just feels like family. I, I want to I speak today on the subject of change. Is there, is there anybody in this room that, that wouldn't say there's something in their life that they desire to see changed? You know, maybe a circumstance that's surrounding your life. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's something in, internal. Maybe it's something you're dealing with specifically internally. I mean, in, in just about a month or so, each one of us will probably begin to sit down and reflect on the year that just passed and we'll think about the year to come and we'll create these resolutions to change. And uh, they'll last approximately two weeks. Um, come on, anybody joined a gym early in January and it is just absolutely crowded. You can't find any place to go. And then, man, just give it three weeks. It'll be okay. Everybody will... There seems to be in human nature a desire for change to happen, but also there seems to be a resistance to our nature to facilitate that change. And then there also tends to be, because of that, maybe over time you get jaded by life. You tend to, to, to slip into this idea, resign to the fact that this is just never gonna change. Can you, can you just, can you humor me for a second? I know you're not used to being honest in church, but would you by the raise of hands, would you be honest for a second and say, there's something in my life, something that I'm thinking of that I would like to see changed. Come on, would you, uh, all right, a few of us, just a few of us, okay. Um, if, 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 if you're not raising your Jesus, we're so glad that you're here with us, the rest of us, we're works in progress. And we're trying to just see and facilitate change in our life. And so I've titled this message, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. If you're not taking notes, you can <clears throat> write this down. It's, uh, it's called, When Pigs Fly. When Pigs Fly. The old adage of, you know, uh, this will change when pigs fly. This, we'll see something different when pigs fly. There are things in our life that we've, tend to slipped in, we've tended to slip into that mindset that when pigs fly, this will change. There, there are certain things about my life that I, I feel this. I feel this right now, specifically, uh, pertaining to potty training. I have a nine-year-old, an eight-year-old, and a three-year-old, and we decided to go back into the diaper season, okay? Right? Like, I just, it was, I don't know why. We were good. Everybody was independent. We're fine. And then we decided to go back into it. Now we're talking about considering having a fourth, and go back into that. Now, if you're a young parent here, you know, you feel my pain when it comes to potty training. Can I get an amen from First Baptist young families in here, right? You feel it because it always, like, inevitably, they don't work on your timetable whatsoever. Some of you had some massive uh, things happen this morning, you know what I mean? That totally pushed your timetable back. I, I'll never forget the first time bringing Weston, my son, home. And, and Amanda and I, this was, you know, years ago, Amanda and I were bringing Weston home and they told us, they were like, hey, you need to be, we can't release you to go home from the hospital until he has his first, you know, poop, okay? Can we, let me just, because they gotta make sure everything's functioning properly. I told you, Phil's always going, what is he gonna say on this? I'm just gonna open it up with this, all right? We're just gonna get real for a second. You know what I'm talking about. They're like, we gotta make sure everything's functioning properly. And so you're sitting there waiting and then you celebrate when it happens, don't you? Like, yeah, and then you see it. You go to change the diaper, you're like, whoa, bro, what happened? Because it looks like black tar. You're like, did you swallow a parking lot on the way out? You know, like, <laughs> what? 
But you get home and you start going through that season. You're trying to work together. New parents, you're figuring it out, you know, and then things begin to shift some stuff, right? You've got like the teething season and that does a whole wonder on all of those movements. And then, you know, for Cohen, our three-year-old, we found that whenever we put him in this one specific onesie, it was a cream onesie. It would be cream, wouldn't it? It was a cream. Every time we put him in there, he would blow that onesie out. So we used to get frustrated with it and we decided to just work with it. So if, he's, if he got stopped up for whatever reason, I'll just put him in the cream onesie. It'll be all right, right? We'll get this thing going, okay, it's fine. But here's the thing. If you're in the season long enough, it gets really exasperating and frustrating because it always happens at inopportune times. I'll never forget. Just a few weeks ago, I'm taking the older kids to school and I've got Cohen, he's you know three years old. I wanna get him, You know, typically he, I just wake him up, I take him in, our, in his PJs, we drive the kids to school, we come back. He loves taking the kids to school with me. But this time we were running some errands and I wanted him to look cute going out, right? I wanted to give him a little swag, wanted to put him in an outfit. So I take him downstairs, put him in an outfit. I go back up to get ready. I come back downstairs and he has blown this outfit out. And I'm like, seriously, dude, we've got leave in two minutes. And so I grab him. I'm in this predicament, you know, and I'm going to tell you right now, don't get huggies because huggies lie. Okay. They, they don't hug. Okay. Just, uh, so I'm taking him upstairs and I'm like, okay, what do I do? Do I like, do, do I just run him under the faucet? Cause that can be traumatizing for a kid, you know, but I don't want to like fill up the tub and put him in there. Cause he got stuff floating around. Like I'm just, and so I get him, finally get him all cleaned up, get him in the car, get the kids, drop them off, get to the, you know, get to the school, drop the kids off. I get, just drive over and I stop and I just am so frustrated and exasperated. I take a deep breath and I'm like, is this ever going to change? Have you been there? Now, if, if, we, if we were able to go out to lunch after this, we'd sit down, we'd swap parenting stories. You'd be like, Dave, you, you'll never listen to this one, right? We all have those kinds of stories. But this is what you would say to me. You would say, hey, Davey, this is just a season. This is just a season. And you're gonna, you'd probably say something like, you're gonna get to the other side of this season. You've just gotta walk this thing out. Can I, just, can I just tell you something right here? First Baptist, I've come to tell you this. Whatever circumstance, whatever situation that you're seeing in your life, that it seems unchanging, that you've resigned to the fact that there is no transformation that could happen here. Can I tell you something? It is a season right now. And you've got to get to the other side of this season. And as you walk with the Lord, we're gonna find out in this passage, as you walk with Jesus, he takes you to the other side and you wind up looking back and going, I can't believe we made it to the other side. And you can look back and you can tell other people a test testimony of this is just a season. This is just a season. Now, it may not feel like a season right now, but Jesus takes his disciples and decidedly, he goes to the other side. He goes to the other side of a lake. And I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 1, and we're going to unpack this scenario because in this story, we see two things that Jesus wants to address with the disciples. Two circumstances, one external, one internal, that the disciples thought there is no way that these things could change. There's nothing that could happen about this, but Jesus wants to show them his authority over those circumstances. Come on, I'm here to tell you that Jesus has authority over your circumstances. So this is what we see in, Math, in Mark chapter five. It says this, it says, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Now let me stop right there for just a second because this is loaded. I don't know if you've been to Israel with some of the first Baptist groups who have gone to Israel, 
But I remember going a couple of years ago with some of you guys, and we went and stayed in a place called Tiberias, which is on the edge of the Lake of Gennesaret or the Sea of Galilee. Those are interchangeable terms. Jesus did much of his ministry in Tiberias and Capernaum, which is on one side of the Sea of Galilee. But, but this says that they wanted to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, while we were staying in Tiberias, I actually have a video here if you wanna go ahead and show that video. We were staying in Tiberias, and in the hotel we were staying at, you could see across the lake. Do you see those hills over on the other side? Those are the Gerasenes. This is specifically the geographic region that this passage is talking about. Now, it was, it was problematic for them to go across the lake. You didn't go across the lake in these days because uh, the Jews would not associate with anybody across the lake. The, the region of Capernaum and Tiberias were Jewish regions, but across the lake, it was a Gentile region. And in this day and age, the Jews had a, very, a high bias or discrimination, a prejudice against the Gentiles because what they believed is that the Gentiles were unclean. That if they went across the lake and associated with the Gentiles, it would then deem them unclean by virtue of association. And so they tried to keep themselves separate and sacred so that they could go and worship in the temple. And if they ended up being exposed to anybody that was not Jewish, if anybody who was unclean, then they would have to go through all these ritual washings and ceremonies in order to go to the worship, go to the temple to worship. And so when Jesus said, let's go to the other side of the lake, they're like, wait, we don't go to the other side of the lake. We, we don't do this. But Jesus steps on the scene, God in flesh steps on the scene to create a paradigm shift in these disciples because he wanted to enact a ministry and enact a kingdom that operated differently. Not, not one that when you associate with unclean, what's unclean makes what's clean unclean, but Jesus demonstrated things where he would actually touch people who were unclean, the leper, the woman with the bleeding problem. He would touch them specifically to demonstrate that his kingdom operates differently, that when the clean touch the unclean, it doesn't make what's clean unclean, it makes what's unclean clean. This is the power and authority of Jesus. This is what Jesus came to issue into our lives. How many of you, that's your story? You're saying, Davy, I was lost, but now I'm found. Davy, I was blind, but now I see. Davy, I had a mess in my life, but Jesus came and touched me, an actual personal encounter with a living God, and he made what is unclean, clean. I don't know about you, but that's my story. That's my story. That's why I'm standing here today, because he's transformed me. It's the power of Jesus. So he tells the side, we're going on to the other side. Well, the other reason you go to the other side is because it was dangerous to go to the other side. In fact, in this day and age, if you went across the lake, you could wind up in a storm. There's a, a, the climate or the environment there is such in the region of Galilee where a storm could come just out of nowhere because there was a wind tunnel through a valley that would come right through. And so a squall would pick up. And so the fishermen didn't go across the lake if they wanted to go to the other side. They would go around from port to port to port. So there was a discrimination that Jesus was forcing his disciples to step across and there was danger he was forcing his disciples to step across. Can I tell you something? Sometimes, for some of us, the reason we're not seeing change happen in and around our lives is because there is so much discrimination that is anchored and rooted inside of our spirits that we're not willing to go to places that Jesus went. Come on, and interact with people that Jesus interacted with. But I'm here to tell you that if you're going to be a church that experiences transformation, that experiences change, you're gonna have to be willing to interact with people that other people won't interact with. Come on, you're gonna have to be willing to go places other people aren't willing to go and do things that other people aren't willing to do for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's the way we see change happen. 
How many of you have been on a missions trip where you've gone overseas thinking you're gonna go and act change in some people group or some person's life and you come back changed? Well, you had to step over something in order to do that. Discomfort? Discrimination? Can I ask you something? How many people in your life look different than you? Hello? I'm just saying. In order for us to begin to see transformation happen, sometimes we can't stand up on a soapbox and yell at the world. Sometimes we've gotta be in the world, but not of the world. Let's go. We've gotta be surrounded with people who look different than us, think different than us, act different than us, believe different than us in order for us to influence the people who are different than us. The church has always been called to be an influence agent, not an agent that yells out of the world and condemns the world. Jesus didn't come to the world to condemn the world. He came to the world to infiltrate the world, influence the world, and to save the world. Come on, through incarnational ministry. Let's go. So sometimes you have to get, you, you gotta get up outside of yourself to go and experience change. I'm praying that today this dislodges some of you out of your discomfort or your discrimination. Sometimes it's gonna be dangerous. Sometimes it's going to be, it's gonna put you right in the middle of peril. You see what happens, if we go back to the passage right before this, before they actually make it to the other side, in Mark chapter four, it says, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side, leaving the crowd behind, some of you are gonna to have to leave something behind if you're gonna to go to the other side and see change happen. Said, so leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. Isn't it funny that they took Jesus along just as he was? I think that's an interesting turn of the phrase because, because Jesus comes so that we can come just as we are. Let's go. But they took Jesus along just as he was. Perfectly sufficient in the boat. There were other boats with them. 37, sure enough, danger ensues. A furious squall came up. The waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped and Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. Here is this massive storm. Quite literally, the, the worst fear of these disciples as fishermen, they make it their, most of them made it their occupation to fish. They knew they weren't supposed to go across. They're trusting Jesus. Okay, Jesus, you say we're gonna go across. We're trusting you. We're gonna go across right now. We're not supposed to do this. And sure enough, this storm comes up and Jesus is asleep at the stern on a cushion. You ever feel like that? When a storm hits your life, you're going, hey, Hey, Jesus, did you see, you see what's going on here? You see what's happening? Hey, Jesus, do you see what's happening in my marriage right now? Can you, okay, do you see this? Do you even care? Are you aware of this? Do you, see, do you see what's happening with my kids? I mean, we have grown them up for years. They've been in church and now they've gone off to college and it feels like everything's getting dismantled and they're just leaving the faith. Do you see what's happening, Jesus? Do you even care? I mean, I mean, Jesus, they're talking about layoffs at work. They're talking about this massive recession that's gonna happen and there's cuts happening and I don't know, I think my job might be on the chopping block too, but Jesus, I'm just so concerned. Do you even care? Do you feel like that? That in your storm, in your circumstances, Jesus is just sitting there asleep. The disciples felt like that. It says, in verse 38, he was asleep on the cushion, but disciples woke him and said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? See, can I, can I, just, can I just tell you something? I'm gonna say it again. 
Jesus has authority over the storms of your life. But often, Jesus will allow a storm to come into our life so that we not just know he has authority over the storm of our life, but know that he has authority over the storm of our life. We live in a society today where we, for the most part, we have everything we could ever need or want at our beck and call. We are not dependent on on God the way that we used to be. We live in a in a blessed, abundant society. Now, I get it. We've got needs. We've got concerns. We've got worries. We've got anxieties. But it's really interesting to me that we are the most abundant society that we have ever seen all throughout history. Come on. And the most well-informed society. And yet we are also the society and the generation that is struggling with anxiety and depression the most. You see, sometimes Jesus allows the storm to come into our life so that we know that he has authority over our storms. How do you know that God is a provider unless you need provision? Unless you get to a moment in your life where you go, I don't know how in the world this is going to happen. I don't know how in the world this is, I'm gonna be able to make ends meet right here, but, but God, I'm just desperate. You're gonna have to do something and God intervenes in that moment. How do you know God is a healer? unless you need healing. You see, for whatever reason, as human nature is, we walk around in life completely comfortable, chasing after comfort, totally reliant and dependent on ourselves. And there are times where a storm comes up, and those storms are often, unfortunately, the only moments for us where we turn to God and go, God, come on, God, 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 out of desperation. Sometimes God calms the storm that's going on around you. Sometimes he calms the storm that's going on inside of you. But he won't touch the storm going on around you. Hey, friends, listen. The, mark, the marking difference between us and any other person in the world, the marking difference of a follower of Jesus is how we walk through storms. Come on. How in the world, how in the world do people know about Jesus in 2022? They've never seen Jesus on the cross. They've never seen the suffering of Christ. They didn't witness that personally, right? They didn't witness personally the, resurrecting, the resurrection power of Jesus, the victory in him. How do people know? How can they see Jesus in 2022? They see Jesus when Christians suffer well. And in the midst of the storm, what's going on around them doesn't affect what's inside of them. And so they become insulated from the outside world. Insulation is no matter what the temperature is outside of you, you're your temperature stays the same. And so if the temperature is cold outside of you spiritually, you stay the same. If the temperature is hot outside of you spiritually, you stay the same because you're insulated from all the external circumstances that are going on because there's a peace that passes all understanding residing inside of you, guarding your heart and mind. That's the difference between a follower of Jesus and everybody else in this world. And people snap their necks and look at you when they see you in a storm to see how you're gonna respond. And sometimes God lets that storm linger around so that people's attention are on your storm, but what they really see, God's drawing them to the peace in the midst of the storm. I'm not here to tell you that God's gonna calm your storm. I'm not here to tell you that. 
I wish I could. I wish we could walk up one at a time and go, hey, what's the storm in your life? And we pray over it and boom, poof, it's calmed. It's done. You're healed. You're provided for. Your marriage is put back together. The addiction's broken. I wish we could do that. And God can do that, friends. He's absolutely powerful enough to do that. And he shows the disciples this when we keep reading in this passage. He shows them, I have authority over this storm. He wakes up, he rebukes the storm. He says, calm, be still, and everything settles. He is powerful to do this. But calming this storm stirred up another storm inside of these disciples' hearts. Because now they go, wait a minute. Who, who is this that has authority over the external circumstances? God's gonna, Jesus is gonna invite them to start looking at three different layers of those, these circumstances, these problems going on here. And if we're going to see change happen, we have to look at these three different layers. The first layer is we have to look at the activity layer, the activity layer, the external, what's going on on the outside, what's happening. You see the disciples, they, they let the activity or the external inform their belief. Isn't that interesting how many of us, our faith is so hollow that we end up letting our external circumstances inform what we believe rather than the reverse, letting our belief inform how we see our external circumstances? This is the difference. Some people can walk through horrific, awful things, and yet they have a kingdom perspective that allows them to see what God is doing in those circumstances. Something hits their life, and they're like, man, that sounds just like something God would do. And they're looking, they're waiting, they're anticipating. They're like, when's God gonna show up? How's he gonna show up? What's he gonna do right here? And then other people can have a paper cut, and it's the end of the world. Because they're letting their external circumstances influence what's going on Internally, Now, if we want to see change happen, we have to be aware of the activity. We have to be aware of the external. They end up getting to the shore. It says in Mark chapter five, it says they get to the other side. They go to the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. The man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. So they get to the shore. All of a sudden they see this demon-possessed man come running to Jesus. The disciples have just witnessed Jesus have authority over the external, over nature, over creation. And now they're looking and watching this man come forward and they're beginning to have another problem or a dilemma right here. Because from the, from the disciples' perspective, they see this man that nobody could chain, nobody could put in bondage, right? He looked like he was free. And on the outside, the activity level, the external, it, it appeared to be so, didn't it? But how many of you know that on the internal, below the surface, this man was very much in bondage? And had the disciples stayed at the activity level, they would have caused this circumstance to inform their belief that nothing could change about this man's life. I mean, this man's a Gentile. There's no way. Jesus isn't gonna interact with a Gentile. I mean, this man is demon-possessed. You see, when you saw that picture or that video of the, the Sea of Galilee, one of the fascinating things about the, just the layout of the Sea of Galilee and, and just really any body of water is that you can hear things when everything gets quiet in the city, you can hear things from across a body of water. 
Some of you guys have been out on a lake and you kind of hear all the way over to the other side of the lake. You can hear because the, the water acts as a natural amplification. This is why when you're gonna see passages where Jesus gets out in a boat because he sees a crowd and he decides to preach from out of the boat, out into the water because he uses this water to amplify. So listen, this man coming to Jesus, to the disciples, this was no surprise. They knew this man. They'd heard this man. They'd been over in Capernaum and Tiberias and they had heard the shrieks and the cries of agony about this man. But listen, no one dared go over there to do anything about this man's dilemma until Jesus comes along and says, we're going over to the other side. And the disciples are going, yeah, right. When pigs fly, is this gonna change? There's no way this could change because they were seeing everything from an activity level rather than getting down to the next level. And that's the level of ideology, ideology. You see, we, we won't see change happen in our life as long as we look purely at the external circumstances that are going on around us. Now, God changes external. This is the beautiful thing about becoming a believer and realizing that God interacts and intervenes in a personal way in our circumstances. Some of you may have experienced it. You pray to God and you're like, wow, I just saw, like prayer works. Like something changed because I prayed and asked God about this thing, right? But the problem is, is often our prayers become too much about the external and not about the internal. Our, our, our evidence that we would point to that God is real and intervening is, is way more focused on external intervention rather than internal transformation. Listen to me, friends, listen. The greater miracle the greater miracle in someone's life, greater than someone being healed physically, greater than someone experiencing this miraculous provision, greater than the sensational, the greater miracle is when someone's heart and life is transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, the fact that someone was stone cold, hard, resistant against the work of the Holy Spirit, and then all of a sudden the door cracked open and the Holy Spirit floods in and rushes in and changes the heart of stone to a heart of flesh, and they choose to turn from going their own way to God's way, choose to serve the Lord for the rest of their life, that's the greater miracle. And if we understood that, we would be so excited every time we saw transformation happen in someone's life. But we get inoculated with that. It becomes, oh, that's old hat. That's old hat. I wanna see the sensational. And so we begin to pray to the end of our external circumstances rather than praying to the end of our internal transformation. So it starts to manifest itself like this. Well, God... Could you change, could you change my spouse? He needs to be changed so bad. I hope he's listening to this message right now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna download it later. I'm gonna make him listen to it over and over and over again. Would you change him? Would you change my kids? Would you change it? Would you change my work? Would you change my job? Would you change, would you change my... My setting, the workplace, would you change? And you start, to, you start to pray externally. And God's going, wait, 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 wait. Why don't we look at what's going on here first? Because if we can change what's going on here first, if we can change the ideology or the belief systems that have lodged themselves in you, 
because you, you don't realize that it's manifesting itself externally around you, that if that changed, then what would come out of you would be different. And if what would come out of you would be different, then you could become a change agent in whatever circumstance or environment that you're in. You see how God works? Are you, are you tracking with me, First Baptist? The greater miracle is that you come into this environment right here and you let the Holy Spirit change your heart and then you take that changed heart out there and you become ambassadors or change agents into the world. But there's so many of us, the reason we're not seeing change happen externally or internally is because of an ideology issue. Because belief informs our behavior. Some of you have been wrestling with addictions for so long that they just feel like they are complete anchors or lodgings inside of your, inside of your life. And you're like, there's no way this addiction could ever change. And you just kind of decided to manage it. But man, every time you come into this, this environment, all you think about is what you were looking at uh, on the computer a couple nights ago. Can I get real for a second? And you don't want it. And you feel so ashamed about it. And you want God to just take it away, take it away, take it away. And you're asking God to change the external desire that you have for the, but, but God's going, no, no, I wanna change some belief systems that are lodged here. Because the reason you're running to that addiction right there is because there's something that you're believing right here that is informing that behavior. There's something that you're running to. You're trying to manage or cope with the pain or the pressure that is going on in your life right now because you don't truly, you don't truly believe that I have authority, Jesus says, over what's going on in you. That I can change that desire. So we spend our life picking off the fruit rather than addressing the root. Hear it? Feel it? I see this over and over in my life. Over and over in my life. Some of you don't even realize the ideologies or belief systems that you're caught up in. You don't realize it until you get a, a, a roommate in college or a spouse. Hello. <laughs> and all of a sudden your wife or your spouse, in my situation is my wife, she's like, why do you do that? And you're like, I don't even know why I do that. Why do I do that? It's because this generational thing that has just, you've kind of inherited, you know, toilet paper over or under, right? <laughs> Why do you do that? Why do you, it's not under, it's over, it's over, you know? Why do you do that? I don't even know why I do that. It's just something that's been passed down. The environment that you grew up in begins to inform some belief systems about how you see the world, how you see everything around you, how you see scripture, how you see, you, and you just, and so you just kind of operate in that and you've become lodged in that. And now all of a sudden Jesus is trying to change something about you, but you can't or you're resistant to it because of an ideology. You see, this is where this man ends up, this is, this is where the real change begins to happen with this man. He comes forward, it says night and day, verse five, among the tombs in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself. And then in verse six, it says, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In, in God's name, don't torture me, for Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Now on the surface, it looks like the demons are acknowledging Jesus as God. That they're acknowledging that they are subservient 
to Jesus, doesn't it? Jesus, son of the most high God. This is why I mean belief system rather than just belief. Because scripture tells us that the demons believe, but they shudder, right? They believe, but, but they tremble. You see, the fact that they said, Jesus, son of the most high God, in, we can infer that they have some kind of belief system inherent that keeps them anti-God. Because they didn't say, Jesus, son of the only living God. Got it? So they believe that God was the most high God. They can't dispute his power. But they believe there's all these other lesser gods. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. If you don't get anything else in here, I need you to get this. You have an enemy warring against your change happening in your life. He's warring against everything about what God wants to do in your life. And he is perfectly content with you coming to church and lifting up God as the most high God right here on a Sunday, but going out Monday through Saturday and giving credence and honor to all the other lesser gods in your life. What do you mean by lesser gods, Davy? What do you depend on when the storm hits your life? What do you resort to? What is it? Is it alcohol? Is it food? Is it drugs? Is it relationships? Not bad, but maybe even neutral relationships, but you're, you're driven to those rather than driven to the feet of the Father. Is it your career? As long as you can feel successful and achieve, then everything stays quiet or at bay right in here. What is it that you depend on? What is your coping mechanism when the storm hits your life? Because underneath ideology, we will always discover our idolatry. Our belief systems are informed by who, who we believe God to be. And therefore, who we believe ourselves to be. We cannot know who we are unless we see ourselves in light of who God is. And so this idolatry begins to creep in. You see, here's what's crazy about this. As I read this passage, I'm going, man, okay, it seems like that they, but Jesus, Jesus had said, come out of him. Come out of him. Like, Jesus said that to him, which, by the way, is a very powerful word. You know that? You know how powerful the word of God is? Come on, First Baptist. This is a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, Bible. I mean, you are st we are staking our claim, and God's word is a powerful word. Do you know this? God's word, when, it, when God speaks, man, things move. We just sang about it right here. When the Holy Spirit of God, when it speaks, come on, it comes out and it accomplishes what it was set forth to do. This word is a powerful word. It's the same word God spoke in the beginning of time to bring all the chaotic nothingness into order with a word. He just spoke it. He didn't flick his wrists. He didn't touch it. He didn't form this. He, he spoke it. It says God speaks and all this stuff comes to order. This is the same word that God, that God told Ezekiel to speak in the valley of dry bones. 
You know what I'm talking about? There's this valley of dry bones. God says, speak a word, Ezekiel, and the bones begin to assemble themselves in, in, into, into, into skeletons, like an army in front of them. He says, speak that word again. And he begins to bring sinew and muscle and tendons all around these bones. And he says, speak that word again, Ezekiel, and life gets breathed in. This is a powerful word. It's, it's the word of life. Come on. And then the word wrapped himself in flesh and came and dwelt among us. Let's go. And that word began to speak out and bring the kingdom of God into existence with his words. He spoke to Lazarus when Lazarus was dead. He said, come out, Lazarus. And Lazarus comes out of the grave. He spoke miracles into existence. This is a powerful, powerful word. And yet Jesus spoke to this man. And what happened? I was an English major for one semester. <laughs> then I switched to communications. But this is what, what I saw right there in that passage. It says, he had said. Demon comes up to him, says, please don't, and it says, for Jesus had said, come out of this man. Had said is the past perfect tense of the verb, meaning in this context, it's referencing something that had already happened. So see the linear progress. Jesus says, come out of this man. This man still demon possessed comes to Jesus, pleading with him. Was Jesus not powerful enough to exercise this demon? What's happening right here? Oh, don't miss this, First Baptist. There is often a gap between the word of God, which we all just established we believe strongly in, don't we? That's powerful and authoritative. But in our lives, if we're honest, we see a gap between the word of God and the works of God. Right? We're going, God, I believe your word. I trust your word. I know your word. I believe I stake my life on your word, but I'm not seeing you work in the way that I thought your word says you're gonna work. Listen, the gap between God's word and the work of God, in that gap, come on, is one very important concept. Lean in, look at me. Obedience. If change is going to happen in our life, we have to be complicit with the authoritative word of God. Hear me? I'm not talking about salvation. You're, you're, I'm not talking about works-based righteousness. That's not what I'm talking about. You are saved by grace through faith so that no one, and listen, that faith was given to you. That's all I'm talking about. I'm talking about this process of seeing transformation happen once we have said, I am yours, God. The process of transformation known as sanctification, the only way we see change happen is if we believe God's word and we believe it enough to put it into action. The demons believed. They believed, but they shuddered. Why did they shudder? Because they weren't complicit with God's word. So, You've got a circumstance or a situation going on with any area of your life. You know, God's word speaks about every area of your life, finances, marriage, interpersonal relationships, career. God's word says everything you need to know about that. The question is not, do you know that? It's not, do you have the information, but are you walking an application? Because information alone does not lead to transformation. 
Information plus application leads to transformation, right? I mean, I know you sit under Pastor Byers preaching, so I know that Matthew chapter seven has been brought out of this pulpit before. Because this is, man, this is like his life mantra is this idea of if we want to build our house on the rock so when the storms come, we are, we are steadfast and immovable, what do we have to do? Jesus said, listen to these words and put them into practice. Not just listen to these words. So let me ask you a question. You got something going on in your finances? You got a storm brewing in your finances? I just want to ask you, are you being obedient to what God's word says about your finances? Because you can't ask God to come in and rescue you when you're being disobedient. Hear me? That's why we see a resistance to change. We're going, well, I want to operate in my own way until I run into a crisis, and then I'm going to ask God to come in and rescue me on this. Am I touching on a little bit too much right now? (laughs) Marriage. Man, God, I want you to stir in my marriage and move in my marriage. I want you to do something profound in my marriage. I mean, we used to have this just real like chemistry and there was just this passion, but years later, I just see it waning and I just don't know. And now it feels like our marriage is hanging on by a thread. And can I ask you something? Are you, are you following God's word in your marriage? You know what the most convicting thing for me has been? Just reading Ephesians chapter five. Oh my gosh. So convicting. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, giving himself up for her, presenting to, her holy, presenting to him holy and blameless before the Lord. Can I ask you something? Husbands, are you loving your wife as Christ loved the church? What did Jesus do for the church? He died for her. He died for her. He gave up his own agenda. Although he had, as Philippians 2 tells us, he had the authority to claim equality with God. He did not consider that equality something to be grasped or taken a hold of or taken advantage of. What he did is he humbled himself in the form of a servant and became obedient even to death on a cross. Husbands, are you loving your wife like that? Or are you going, man, we used to have this, but now, you know, I just resigned to the fact that there's probably not gonna, we're not gonna have that connection that we used to have, and so I'm just gonna go play golf all weekend instead. Well, I probably shouldn't have said that. <clears throat> I'm, just, I'm just saying it's so convicting to me because I'm like, do I really like lay my own agenda down for Do you trust the word of God and the power of God enough to trust God with your circumstances? I trust you with my salvation, God, but but my finances, my career, you can have my eternity. Hear me? So so it it, it creeps its way. Y'all gotta listen faster. I know we gotta lay in this, okay? So it creeps its way into our ideologies and our belief systems But then as we peel those layers back even more, what we discover is we discover identity. Because our identity informs our ideology and our ideology informs our activity. You see, that's what Jesus addressed right here. Once he he kind of got out of all of the muck of this interaction with this man, he addressed his identity. Says this, he says, Jesus asked him in verse nine, what is your identity? name. My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. 
How does a man become so demon-possessed that he has a legion, a legion of demons? Well, it's not overnight. It's not overnight. It happens with one decision after the other, after the other over time, where the enemy gets a foothold and then that foothold becomes a stronghold. And can I just, I, I don't know why, but when we were worshiping down here, I just felt like there was some addiction in this room that needs to be broken today. And it starts with you recognizing that you didn't get into this addiction overnight. You didn't get into that emotional affair overnight. It was one compromising decision after the other, after the other, after the, after the other, where you let the enemy grab a foothold and now he has a stronghold. And today, come on, by the power and authority of Jesus Christ, today that can be broken. But we have to understand our identity. It's not a coincidence that this is the major conversation of our world today, friends. The enemy wants the world to question its identity. The enemy wants you to question your identity. This was the major temptation of Jesus. If you are the son of God, you can read about it in Matthew chapter four. If you are the son of God, if you are the son of God three times, but can I tell you something about Jesus' temptation? Right before Jesus' temptation, what happened? Jesus' baptism. And in a moment in Jesus' baptism, Jesus gets baptized by John the Baptist. And in that moment, something so powerful and sacred happened. I hope you don't miss what's powerful about this, but the heavens open up, the spirit of God descends like a dove. And, and, and the voice from heaven says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. You know, this is before Jesus performs any miracle, does any kind of activity whatsoever. Before he steps into public ministry, God says, this is my son, and I am pleased with my son. Listen to me, friends, listen to me, friends. Until you understand that you are a son and a daughter of the king, everything else will seem to unravel. Can I say that again? Until you understand that you are a son and a daughter of the king, everything else will unravel because the enemy is trying his hardest to dislodge the imago Dei, the image of God inside of you, the God-given identity that he built inside of you that is unique and distinct, that is something that he has put in you, custom designed and built you. He has woven you in your mother's womb. Come on, he has crafted you as a workmanship so that your, your life can be something that is put on display for others to see as a son or a daughter of the king. I love my kids, but not because they bring anything to me. They don't bring anything transactional to me, especially Cohen, he's three years old. I can't get him out there doing chores yet. (laughs) But man, I'll never forget looking at that little baby and just... Just going, oh my goodness, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And I'm here to tell you, First Baptist Church, I don't know what you're struggling with, I don't know what you're dealing with, but you are God's son. But what about the addiction I'm struggling with? You're God's son, and he's proud of you, and he's pleased with you. The reason this isn't works-based righteousness, friends, is because when you operate out of identity, knowing that you are, you are highly favored of the king, that you are redeemed, that you are called, that you are chosen, then you want 
to obey because you're never gonna obey someone you don't trust. You're never gonna trust someone you don't know. And once you get to know God and who you are in him and most importantly, whose you are, come on, then you trust him. Can I bring uh, Cody up here real quick? I, I, know, I know we gotta, we gotta land this. He asks his identity. And at that point, something, something breaks in this man. Jesus is confronting his identity. It says in verse 11, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission. This is, what kind of a God is this that even has mercy on his enemies, right? It says he, grant, he grants their request. And, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. Just like that, by the word of Jesus, the stronghold was broken. And man, I'm believing the same thing for many of you in here today. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake where they were drowned. You know, we started this out talking about the disciples and their belief system that had been lodged and anchored inside of their hearts. There's no way that these circumstances, there's no way that this man's gonna change. No one could, no one could. When pigs fly, Jesus, is this gonna happen? Yeah, when pigs fly. I just have to imagine Jesus was like, all right, see what we can do about that. Because friends, this is the day that pigs flew. Literally flew right off the bank and into the water. Don't tell the son of not the most high God, but the only living God, what can or can't happen in your life. But why am I not seeing it right now, Davey? I feel like right now, Jesus is just asleep. He's asleep at the stern. I, I love the fact, I mean, you're, 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 you're trying to build us up in hope and inspiration. You're trying to point us to this future that God has for me. I, I love that, that's great. But right now in my circumstance, what I feel is Jesus is asleep and I don't even know if he cares about me. Well, see, this passage goes on. It says, those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. The beginning of the passage tells us that this man was at best naked, that no clothes would remain on him because he was in such torment that he would tear his clothes and tear his chains. And so most scholars believe he was naked. And yet when they came back, when they came back, he was dressed and in his right mind. Where in the world did this man get clothes? You know, the first time I was in Israel, we were on a boat in the Sea of Galilee and our guide was teaching us some stuff about this. And what he said is he said, you know, you know that, that passage in Mark chapter four where Jesus was asleep, the stern of the boat on a cushion. He said, look around. This is, a, this is you know, a fisherman's boat. Do you see any cushions anywhere? I promise you. There were no cushions on these. This was not a yacht, right? So you see any cushions? No, there were no cushions on these fishermen boats. And so what most scholars believe is that the cushion that Jesus fell asleep on wasn't a cushion at all. 
was actually clothes that he had brought over because he knew what he was gonna do to change this man's life. Can I tell you something? The powerful, authoritative word of Jesus doesn't just rescue you. The gospel doesn't just save you, saves you. It, it sustains you. It changes you. It heals you. It transforms you. And, and as you keep following after Jesus, as, as he keeps bringing a word to your mind, as he keeps bringing that next faith step to your mind, as he keeps, keeps convicting your heart and you decide, I'm gonna, I'm, going to, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna comply to this. I'm gonna be obedient because I trust you, God. This doesn't make any sense, but I'm gonna step in faith right now. I'm gonna do this. And as you do that, over time, you look back and you go, how, how did I get, how did I get these clothes on? And he clothes you in righteousness. You are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And Jesus is faithful in the process to change you. That's the greater miracle, friends. That's the greater miracle. So here's what I wanna ask you to do. I wanna, I wanna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. In just a moment, I'm gonna, I'm gonna dismiss us, but I do believe that there are some folks in here that, man, you are wrestling with some things and you want God to do, some, uh, do, do something really powerful in your life. And I'm gonna ask the prayer team to come forward. And, um, and maybe you just need prayer today. Maybe you just need a touch from the Holy Spirit of God. Maybe faith has been infused back into you through the preaching of the word. And for the first time in maybe a long time, you're believing that something about your life could change. By the power of Jesus, we wanna, we wanna pray over you. We wanna lay hands on you. We wanna help facilitate that. So I'm gonna pray for us. And if, and if you feel like, man, I, I just need prayer today. I need something I need something to change in me today. I want, you to, I want you to come forward in just a moment. Jesus, I just thank you so much for what you're doing in this space. I can sense your spirit so powerfully and so palpably. So I ask, Lord, that in the sacredness of this space, that you would call us, you would beckon us, that we would encounter you, the living God, the one true God who changes us. I pray for the person who has felt a resistance to change, who has resigned to the fact that this is always going to be the way it's going to be. And I ask, Lord, that you would, would you dismantle that today? Would you break strongholds of addiction today? Would you restore marriages today? Would you bring life and hope back into somebody's heart today? Would you ease anxiety? Would you eliminate depression today? By the power of your spirit, we know you can do this. And even if you don't do it right now, Lord, I pray that there would be a seed of something new and fresh that they would be able to walk into. So meet us here right now. Would you, right now, would you just all stand for me? And I'm gonna invite you to do this. I'm gonna say amen. 
And if you, if you feel like you're done today, you are free to go. But we're gonna leave just a sacred moment right here for folks to come forward. If you know that God's speaking to your heart today and you need someone to pray over you or you need to make a decision of faith today, I wanna ask you to come forward. Move this way toward the altar rather than moving out. But if you feel like, okay, that's all that I needed for today, you can just step on out. Lord, I just pray that you would do something powerful. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. As you leave, just kind of keep a sacredness in this moment and allow those who need to come forward for prayer to come forward.